When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Screen Talk. Um, I'm Ann Thompson with a froggy voice. And I'm Ryan Latanzio with a professional microphone at last. I went to a Golden Globes after party for uh, Universal and for celebrating Oppenheimer. And there was just one part of the room that was really loud. And I kept yelling, you know, it was that thing where you're just trying to get your voice across, and it, I just shot out my voice. So we're going to go over all the uh, latest developments. There's been a lot, right? There's the winners of the Globes, the SAG noms, and the DGA noms. And um, Ryan, what's your first top of the top of the overview takeaway on where we are right now? Yeah, there's been a fire hose of uh, bursting nominations and wins this week between the Globes and all the other guilds. As you mentioned, we had a lot of guilds yesterday. We had SAG and DGA, which yielded some interesting takeaways. Um, just quickly going back to the Globes, um, maybe we you know start at the top of the week. One thing that I you know walked well, I wasn't there in person, but when I walked away from watching it on my television screen, I felt that. The palpable enthusiasm for Anatomy of a Fall there, uh, which won Best International Feature and Best Screenplay, which that was unexpected. And, it, you know, it, it left you feeling kind of like France maybe blew it with then it's nothing against the taste of things, which I, I adore. I disagree with that. I don't agree but with that. They could have won the International Feature Oscar, maybe, had they submitted Anatomy of a Fall. I it's mean, a popular movie, but remember that the Globes group is a very specific group of 300 people, many of them not even here. They're all over the world, and they're very highbrow film critics. They're like Fripresky critics, that kind of group. So it's a it, taste of things is more mainstream than Anatomy of a Fall, but so are the Oscar voters. So I don't think they made a mistake. Also, Taste of Things isn't, isn't two and a half hours long. Yes, it I love is. Anatomy. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> Anatomy of a Fall is is a great movie, but I wouldn't make too much of those um, of those wins because it has to go up against, right? It would have to make it into Best Picture, which is a possibility. It would have to make it into Director. That's not going to happen. We'd have to make it into uh, screenplay, original screenplay. Um, and that's that could happen. That's possible. That's what it needs to do. You know, what was interesting also about Anatomy of a Fall was that Justine Trier, the director, writer, in one of her speeches, she mentioned suicide as one of the themes of the film. And a lot of people online um, jumped onto this as her acknowledgement uh, that the Sandra Hewler character is in fact innocent, which is interesting because it kind of wasn't ambiguous was, to me at all thing, in the movie. Her whole thing, the whole time she talked about the movie was to not give it away and not, she gave it away. She uh, gave away what she thinks happened. It's interesting because I didn't feel, and apologies to all who haven't seen the movie that are listening, I didn't feel it was especially ambiguous. I was pretty certain of her innocence in the me movie, too. but suppose that was up for debate. Um, I do think that Sandra Hewler could have a shot at getting into best actress, but then I agree with that. If, if we look at the SAG nominations, who would that then kick out? Right, I suppose Annette Bening was sort of on the bubble, and she made it in for Nyad at the SAG, and, SAGs, so, and did, so did Jodie so did Foster. Jody Foster. But they didn't make it to uh, to the ensemble. Uh, it's it's an interesting question of where Nyad ends up. I agree with you. It's it's on the bubble. One of the other surprising SAG nominations was for Penelope Cruz. Um, that wasn't a, a given for, for Ferrari in supporting. Um, no, and Ferrari's definitely in trouble, as we talked about last yeah. week. And Penelope is the best shot, I think, for that movie going Absolutely. Ahead. And the and she's very popular with the Academy. You know, the, she's been in the game several times now over the years. And they love her. Um, so the next, so the, the, the 
the ensemble nominations are very revealing. They don't always coincide with with the Oscars, but um, because SAG is a more mainstream group, so I'm still not going to say that Color Purple is a is going to make it to Best Picture. I'm not sure. I think it will just be Daniel Brooks. You know, Danielle. It won't. It won't be a picture. But um, that was that was a big a big win for them to to get an ensemble. The holdovers didn't get it, even though Giamatti and Davine Randolph, Joy Randolph, got in, and she's going to win. We all know that she's going to win Best Supporting Actress because she's won everything. But now at least we know that Paul Giamatti is likely to get nominated, which is fantastic um, and deserved. But the holdover did not get into ensemble. You kind of need a big Globe win. An, ens an ensemble nomination. So who has that? There's three movies that have that. Oppenheimer with five Globe wins. Um, you have Barbie with two. And you have Killers of the Flower Moon with uh, Lily Gladstone. And the other thing that happened at SAG was that Leo didn't get nominated, which was a big deal. And the other thing is that SAG told us is that I think it's the end of the road for May, December. Charles Melton did not get into supporting and it didn't show up anywhere else, which, you know, you've been suggesting all along. But that really was kind of the last scoop of dirt on the coffin for that. It's one. a critics film. And, and it isn't as much it, as I love it's that. Also, movie. It's also divisive. You know, it isn't one of those films that everybody loves. Um, it, it just isn't. And neither is, by the way, is Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, it, it is loved and admired by many, but there are detractors. Uh, and at the SAGs, we had Willem Dafoe getting in for supporting over Mark Ruffalo. Uh, what do you think happened there? I don't think that that's going to repeat at the Oscars necessarily. I think Ruffalo will get it at the Oscars. I think Poor Things will do very well at the Oscars, more than anywhere else. Um, because, and also it has all the crafts, you know. It's just, uh, and it got DGA. So DGA was what we expected. Greta, Chris Nolan, Orgos Lanthimos, and Martin Scorsese. The fifth slot was the question mark. Would it be, uh, you know, Jonathan Glazer? But they're a more mainstream group. So maybe maybe the zone of interest wasn't going to make it with the DGA. They have the assistant directors and the production managers and everything. And then you have Alexander Payne who got in. With the holdovers. So that's strong. That's a good thing for the holdovers. What happens at the Oscars, though? Remember, the DGA had Joe, Joe Kaczynski, right? For Top Gun Maverick. The Oscars could could easily last time what they what did they put in instead? They put in Triangle of Sadness, you know, Ruben Ostland. So I think they're going to go foreign again, you know, with with Jonathan Glazer. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we look at that category and historically it does make room for a, a, a foreign filmmaker that that branch, you know, tends to go for for that kind of challenging movie. Uh, and perhaps this was expected, but Bradley Cooper, of course, did not get into best director at the DGAs again. And uh, he was, imagine he's he was, stung he by was that. actually nominated for A Star is Born oh, is, as first you. time director. That's right. That's what right. it was. So so. The other movie that's doing very well is American Fiction. Yes, American they got an ensemble. Got an ensemble. SAG, Sterling K. Brown's in. Uh, Jeffrey Wright Which is, is a in. Good now there's sign of there's fervor around and that Cord movie. And Jefferson got first-time director. So, uh, along with Celine Song, you know, for past lives, which one would hope she would get and av rockwell for a thousand and one which is on your top 10 and a movie that awards bodies have wrongly i would say have been ignoring in recent oh, it'll weeks. do well at the spirits i would guess yeah we're looking at oppenheimer and uh killers of the flower moon and uh barbie basically that's the three movies that are gonna you know run the table at the oscars it's the same that come up again and again. And uh, if you want to, we could talk about this now. One that's not coming up that is opening in a way that I think people don't realize is Origin, the Ava oh, yeah. DuVernay film. And we just saw over the weekend the, the film star Ingenue Ellis Taylor. She uh, is doing a sort of grassroots marketing campaign outside of an AMC theater in Los Angeles, handing out flyers promoting the movie, which is not an Oscar contender at this point. And I think it's one that's been widely ignored. And I think 
mishandled potentially we don't know the details of it i mean neon picked it up out of venice pretty late in the day and i would say that and then they they scheduled it for release now in in january and it had it had a qualifying release in december that kind of no one knew about i mean neon's very has their hands full with prioritizing anatomy of a fall and Ferrari, which we know is kind of close to dead. Um, but, you know, we, we both. You keep flogging this dead horse. Penelope Cruz. <laughs> no, log it again. Did get not a, a sad And she's, no, and she's amazing. In it. And I like that movie and nothing against it, but you just were not seeing it in the conversation anymore. But, you know, we both did catch up with Origin. And I, I, listen, I, I will be candid and admit yeah, a couple of things. Think? I well, I deprioritized it for two reasons. We had a critic at Venice, a, uh, a freelancer who writes for us regularly, uh, Leila Latif, who she really kind of excoriated the movie in her review. And I was at Venice and she talked to me about it. And so I didn't I sort of put it out of mind. And the other thing is that I'll be honest about is I didn't want to watch it because I thought it was going to be a sort of civil rights history lesson. And that's a terrible thing I have to admit, but it's the reality. And I found that the movie is actually not that. And I actually, I really was quite moved by this film. It's based on a book by Isabel Wilkerson called Cast that was published uh, just coincidentally not long after George Floyd was killed and during, you know, at the end of the summer 2020, 2020. And, you know, the argument that it makes, I think when you hold it up to the light, it's sort of difficult to I mean, it's the movie is didactic and it's can be heavy as a tech, a textbook, but I do feel like it's trying something different and taking some big filmmaking swings, swings and asking you to look at genocide and enslavement in a different light in the way that it ties the treatment of black Americans to treatment of Jews in the Holocaust, the stratification of um, people in India in their own caste system. I mean, it's 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 taking on a lot of big ideas and it doesn't land at every moment, but. I was, again, I was very moved by it. What did you think, Anne? I think that Ava DuVernay is a very gifted filmmaker, and I think she's brave and forthright in a way. What I mean by that is that she goes ahead and defies what the structures of filmmaking are supposed to be. Uh, she doesn't uh, follow a formula. She had an idea for how to do this, and it works up to a point. In other words, she's taking Isabel Wilkerson as a character. And um, Andrew New Ellis, by the way, that Taylor is fantastic in this. She's amazing. Yes. She's really good. And 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 you can see why uh, Ava DuVernay wanted her, what, what she was getting from her. She's got her in close up uh, a lot of the time. And she's a very empathetic human who is trying to figure out some things and there's um there's a relationship with John Bernthal her husband there's a relationship with her mother there's a relationship with her cousin and uh the whole thing moves forward as she is researching the the content that she's trying to put together and everybody's questioning it you know they're like what what you know i loved some of the revelations the idea that the nazis used jim crow laws as a model for how to treat the Jews. This is extraordinary to me. Yeah, they, they um, look to America for how to structure the Holocaust. Yep. And the other question is how much of how much support is Neon giving the film, you know, and to what degree have they have they botched the job? I think it would have been a, a long shot um, for various reasons, but it needed to start earlier. It needed to be uh, something. There was something very late in the day about the campaign on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you we, we all get this beautifully packaged neon screener box and Origin it's is in there. there, but it hadn't even, I didn't even know when it was coming out. I got it before the, I knew, understood the movie was opening. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it got botched or they put sidelined it somehow. I mean, it does, look, this is an issue that's coming up again with Taraji P. Henson and all of the, conversation around color purple that's that's sort of gone viral about the disparities related to pay and and allegedly probably race on the set of that movie i mean this is not a movie that the awards machine is going to perpetuate i suppose and 
you know, it's an issue that it's obviously we have a diverse body of contenders this year, but there are many performances by actors of color that were worth being further up in the conversation. Tiana Taylor, we talked about someone like Greta Lee. Greta Lee is really, uh, really showing uh, herself off in this whole situation. If anyone has come out ahead in her career, just as a result of being in the Oscar conversation, it's Greta Lee. If you see the um, actresses roundtable at, at the Hollywood Reporter, she just... She's a star, you know, she's brilliant. There's a whole other story that has to do with the films that don't get the money, basically. And uh, I ran into the producer of Kokomo City at the uh, BAFTA uh, uh, tea, and he was, he was really upset, you know, that, you know, they didn't get shortlisted. And he knows why, because they didn't have the money to get the screenings out, to get the things seen by enough people. It's very easy to say, well, not enough people saw it. Well, that's how it happens, is if you don't have the money to put on the screenings. And Magnolia Pictures, which was behind Kokomo City, is an indie distributor that did all they it could, spend. but they, they don't. don't. No, no. Never have. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not focused on them. The other thing I wanted to talk about... Uh, Every year, I'm uh, at this time. Right T today, uh, Friday, is um, the voting is underway. It started on the 11th, so the Academy voters are actually filling out their ballots now um, until the 16th. That's when it closes. Um, so all of the stuff we're discussing, all of the things that have won, all the things that have been nominated, this is all in their heads. This is all affecting them as they make their choices. Um, but there are some movies that I haven't seen. And I know that I've seen more than most Academy voters. I know you have too. So did you go through and figure out which are some of the movies you haven't seen? You know, I'm actually doing better this year than I did in years past. I will be the first to admit, other than the high profile entries from Almodovar and Wes Anderson, I have not seen any of the live action shorts. Oh, no, no, we're not talking about the shorts. Forget the shorts. All right. As far as I'm the features are up concerned. On We've covered the international and, and the docs, you know pretty well. I think most of I think most of the nominees are likely to be the ones that we've seen. The, the, you just wrote the, about one though. You just wrote about the Armenian movie. Which yes, I which is seen. Yeah, which is uh which is sponsoring our podcast this week. Um you know, which is a uh it's a different sort of Armenian tale in that it's it's I think lighthearted. Apollonia it? Apollonia. I have not seen that and I have not seen Air. And I don't think I, I don't know. I don't know what category that would get in. But in terms of contenders this year, I never saw air. The window is shutting. I'm not going to see it. I will never see it. Perhaps if it was about two women, maybe I would have seen it. But it's too much men for me. And I just I'm, it's not it's not it's happening. Actually very good, Ryan. Air is very good. It's a, a very entertaining movie. I believe you, think, you but you I'll never know about, for myself. You know, bros and sports. And guess what? You're right. <laughs> Yeah, it's not happening it for me. But so home. what have you not seen? I haven't seen The Creator. Oh, I haven't seen that either. This is a visual effects movie. I haven't seen Godzilla Minus One, which I really want to see. I want to see both of those. Have you seen Godzilla? Yeah, actually, Godzilla Minus One is really good. I, I, I don't know. I have no relationship to Godzilla in my life, but it actually, it's very impressive. The visual effects are stunning, and it's like a very... It's it's not like the other Godzilla movies you've seen, and that I feel like it really tells a complete emotional human kind of story. Yeah, no, I mean, I was I was I'm surprised that I saw that one, but I've 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 in fact seen it. Rebel Moon Part One, Child of Fire. I'll never see that. I don't think I will either. It's over. Um, it's not happening. And Golda. I don't think I'm going to see Golda. Oh, that's a makeup that's and dead. hair nominee. That's, oh sure. Oh, oh God, I'll never see that. I'm sorry. And I never saw The Last Voyage of the Demeter. And you never will. Did you? What do you think? No. It actually is supposed to be pretty good. And then there's okay. a couple of, of uh, animated films. Today, the uh, Annie noms came out. And Nimona surprisingly beat out uh, both 
the boy and the heron and the uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, they are still the front runners, but I still have to see Nimona. All right. Well, you're outing me as being worse off than I thought I was because I didn't see that either. Have you seen Suzume? No, I want to see that. That's on my Suzume I have a is, for that. Suzume is excellent. It's Mikado Shinkai. It's the director of Your Name and Weathering With You. It's a I like wonderful those films. So Japanese I like this, animated sure. film in the vein of a Studio uh, Ghibli movie. All right. Now we're, we're going to keep it tight today because we have the pleasure of announcing that we have a live guest who we're going to talk to now. His name is Eugene Hernandez, and he's been on the podcast many times. And, uh, you know, he's the director of Sundance. So this is his first real Sundance. He was lurking last year, but this one is he's completely involved. So we're going to we're going to talk to him uh, on the on the verge. Uh, when do you leave for Sundance, Ryan? I'm leaving on Wednesday, the 17th uh, in the morning. So I'll have a little bit of time to settle in. But then the screenings start right up, uh, which is a first, I think, at least in my experience of the festival. They start up very early on Thursday, the Thursday. 18th. And you're going to do you're going to do without me a uh, a live screen talk at Sundance. Yes, we will have a live screen talk um, with a in a sizable auditorium. Uh, which, which I one? can reveal later. It's not confirmed yet, but I will have with us uh, our executive editor of film, Kate Erbland, and our awards editor, Marcus Jones, who will both be on the ground as well. All right. Have a great time, but I'll I'll be talking to you before then. Okay. See, see you soon, Ryan. Bye. Welcome back to Screen Talk. We've got a special guest, someone who's come on the show many times, a Screen Talk stalwart, Eugene Hernandez, co-founder of IndieWire and now director of the Sundance Film Festival. And this would be, Eugene, your first year on the ground from the beginning to, to now. And I'm just curious, what have you uh, gleaned um, that surprised you? about the, for looking at it from the inside instead of, of the outside. Well, you're exactly right, Anne. First year on the ground. Um, and by the way, Anne and Ryan, good to see you guys. Great to, great to see you and thank you for having me. I will say before we get too, too far, and I, I will answer your question, I'm going to, I'm wearing, I'm I'm intentionally wearing my, my coat epoxy. This is the jacket that all of the directors will be getting this year's festival. Uh, the uh, first time relationship between Utah brand Cotopaxi and um, and Sundance. So I'm going to take this coat off because it's a little warm, uh, but I wanted to have that prop. Just oh, how cold off. is it? What is what uh, does Ryan have to look forward to? Yeah, what's in, in store for me? It was in the 20 for for your listeners who are getting ready to come, and I hope a lot of them are. It was in the 20s last night here in Salt Lake City. We got um, a snowstorm last night. Again, another snowstorm this morning. A snow squall. I've been corrected. Um, when I was at uh, one of those TV stations. It feels great. I mean, to answer your question directly, um, yeah, this will be my 30th time attending the festival. Wow. But my first time having uh, been a part of the team that that puts it on. Uh, I was here last year, uh, but I had just started like a month, month and a half before. So, um, and we started work on this year's festival, literally like immediately I mean, even during the festival last year, I remember pulling aside some of my colleagues with ideas I was having, like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And we were already getting the ideas going. But the um, and to be nerdy about it, but folks who are listening who work on festivals, you start you start planning the next festival when you're when you're going through the um, the wrap process from the previous one, because you see what worked, you see what didn't you get ideas. And that's really the beginning of the process. So so, yeah, it. It feels it feels great. I mean, just being and I'm here in Salt Lake, as I mentioned, you know, we, we're a week out of the festival as we record this and um, just being tells are cheaper in Salt Lake and spacious, lovely. Uh, you know, I've, I've spent I spent a fair amount of time in Salt Lake uh, the past year and, um, you know, getting to know folks. And yesterday I was over at one of my favorite um, movie theaters, I would say, period. Uh, at this point, because it's really a great one, is the Broadway. It's the home of the Salt Lake Film Society right on Broadway downtown. And I was over there yesterday nerding out with one of the one of the people who works there, Zoe, because uh, I, I shouldn't say which film it was, but earlier this uh, 
when I was here last fall, there was a movie I needed to watch for consideration for the festival. And um, I needed a place to watch it because we had to make a decision. And I was in Utah and I couldn't watch it with the team back in um, back in LA. LA. We watched a bunch of movies at Vidiots because uh, we love that theater so much in person. Uh, but I so we so I went to the to my friends at the Film Society here in Salt Lake and uh, Zoe, who works there, um, was it was was tracking the movie we were watching. And she's like, you're watching x uh, movie by so and so and i said yes i am and and she's like is it going to be in the festival and i'm like well i'll we'll see i'll tell you after the screening ends the movie did get invited to the festival and there's a at least one person who works at the salt lake film society named zoe who can't wait to see this movie um so it's been great and to just get the the opportunity to to be part of this team especially because it's the 40th so it's a special it's my 30th it's sundance's 40th edition and one more trivia today, today, Thursday, as we record this, is um, the Utah Film Commission, which is co-founder of this, the Sundance Festival, is celebrating their 50th anniversary. There's going to be a big event tonight at the Capitol, and it's 100 years of film in Utah, 50 years of the Film Commission, 40 years of Sundance, 30 years for me. So it all feels it all feels great. Well, today's also January 11th. The podcast will run, of course, on the 12th. But today, January 11th, is a big day for Sundance as well because ticket sales are now open to the public and the pass holders who need them. How are the sales looking? They look good. They look good. We were um, we were doing some live television this morning, and then I was mentioning that that show that I love, Good Things Utah. We were on in the 9.45 slot right before the tickets went on sale um, at 10 a.m. And um, so we were driving traffic uh who were watching the show to, to to log on and of course you know the first few minutes of a sale you're always anxious uh either a are people going to show up it's like when you host a party at your place are people going to show up or are too many people going to show up and you know for a couple minutes there was a little bit of tension because it's like oh my god there's all these people getting in and are we going to get our tickets and then within like five or ten minutes it's like it settles in people start buying their tickets and and everybody calms down and it, look, it looks looking great so yeah people have people are buying tickets you can you can see um i've been saying locally uh ryan you'll see movies that have the little sold out button next to them on the website right now um not to be not as festival goers know not to be worried um because um that just means you're going to get on a standby line you're going to get on a wait list and as as we can release more tickets you know we want to make sure the filmmakers have their tickets and and such and press have their tickets so as that those get claimed we're able to release some as we get closer to the festival we're still a week out so yeah i mean look it's it's people are 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 showing up and uh that's exciting i think it's going to make for some dramatic moments when we get to unveil this lineup i know that you you guys are probably seeing some of the films already so i can't wait to hear what you're talking about and hope you'll share with me some of the things that you can talk about at some point today. So you always do this sort of ritual thing where you get all the filmmakers together at the beginning of the festival. Are you going to do that again? Yeah, there's a few moments. Look, one of the things that, that, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but one of the things that I have really been thinking about a lot with the team um, in the past few months uh, since, since joining past year. And then, and especially, especially in the past few months as we've been putting the festival together is really leaning into those kinds of moments that you can only have when you're together on the mountain for those few days that we're all together. Those are the things that really made the strongest impression on me when I started coming to Sundance in the 90s. And it's because of the people you meet and connect with and bond with, um, you know, parenthetically, you know, meeting IndieWire co-founder Mark Rabinowitz on a shuttle bus at my first Sundance. You know, uh, he and he and Sherry Barner and I starting, starting IndieWire together uh, in the nineties was, was in great, the great support of Sundance and because of Sundance. So, yeah, so we'll do, um, we do a beautiful, um, event for all the directors, um, up at the resort, which we'll do again. And that's the Sundance resort, which is where the labs take place. And, um, and historically have has been such a great gathering place over the years. Um, Eugene, I'd love to get your take on sort of the climate for buyers at this year's festival. Obviously, there's distributors that are already coming in with a slew of titles. Uh, you know, just some examples off the top of my head. You know, A24 has I Saw the TV Glow, A Different Man. Neon has Stress Positions and Seeking Mavis Beacon. I've seen both of those, and as well as handling the undead. Um, but you know, if you can say, what are some sort of hit ticket sales titles that will inspire the kind of overnight sensation bidding wars of Sundance past? Well, I can't promise the overnight sensation bidding. You war wish necessarily yeah. because you know I think that look, I, I understand off the top that the industry 
continues to be in flux as the industry continues to adjust to the way that audiences are evolving the way they watch movies. Certainly not watching any fewer movies, but but we watch them in different ways. My expectations are realistic in knowing that sometimes deals can take a few weeks or a few months after a festival to, to settle and for the market to settle. That said, um, putting a little bit of gentle pressure on our industry friends, many of whom I got to know very well when I was um, on your end of things, sitting in, uh, in the same rooms with you guys, you know, as a journalist, there is a strong lineup of films this year that deserve wider attention, that deserve to meet an audience beyond just film festivals. Now, Film festivals are a great way to lay the foundation for what can be a release, whether that's a theatrical release or a theatrical combined with a streaming or or a day and date or whatever the model is that's going to be employed. Um, there's there's so many more options right now um, that filmmakers can walk in with. And one of the things we prioritized how to give each of the films that we've chosen, chosen from 17,000 submissions more than ever in the history of the festival, how can we give the 90 or so features and 50 plus shorts, the best possible first impression, the first shot at getting introduced to whether it's buyers or the critics who come or curators who travel from around the world to be here, giving them that best first shot, first couple of screenings to just land with an audience. And then as we go out into the digital platform in the second half to get a little bit more attention. I think I've, I've done a little bit of reporting myself in that I've been reaching out to some of our friends in the buying community and in, on the agent side, just sort of taking their temperature. You know, are they, how are they reacting to the marketplace? Are they looking to come in um, for films to, to add to their slate? Maybe they have some openings in their slate because of the strikes we just all, um, uh, witnessed and experienced uh, firsthand. Thursday the 18th, the very first day of the festival, there are 19 films premiering on Thursday the 18th, right? So there isn't an opening night film this year. We are we are on Friday night in Salt Lake. Um, you know, the documentary about Christopher Reeve, Superman will be our, our Salt Lake opening. And that's going to be a, a great rousing screening, great response. I know that film's going to play well, but that's Friday night. Thursday night, we have Thursday starting at noon, I should say, Thursday day, noon until midnight, 19 films premiering. So, you know, I think that just looking at, at Thursday's schedule, um, I mean, I can't wait if we go to the prime, a, a prime slot at the Eccles with Freaky Tales, uh, Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden's film, like that's my number that one, one pick for a hot sales title. Right. I mean, that that's the one where um Anne Ann Thompson would be standing in the lobby as everybody's coming out. And now she'll be um comfortably with her feet up in her living room texting either Ryan Latenzio or everybody else who's uh who just saw the film. What did you think? Watching, scouring what social media is saying. It's such a strong movie. It, it's it's so great to see Ryan and Anna in this, you know, and it's our 40th edition, so they have such a long history with the festival, able to come back and bring on on day one a film as special as Freaky Tales. I think that's a film it that- It sounds very uh, personal. Uh, this Oakland 87, yeah. you know, kind of pop culture, It's it sounds wild. It, it is wild. It is uh, truly entertaining. It is really insightful and sharp and funny and well done and just it just it just it's one of the movies that when we watched it as a team together and i think this is one of the ones we did watch together at vidiots um it just we just knew it was just you you it just it just hits it lands we're so excited for them i think that the industry will will react to it now the, the now you got to make some tough choices on, on on day one because screening also on day one um is a terrific uh new film that i know also um buyers will um will react to and respond to because audiences will it's a film called Thelma and you know seeing June Squibb uh 93 year old June Squibb carrying this movie with with Richard Roundtree one of his last roles or perhaps his last role you know the the director um Josh said that uh he modeled this character after his own his own grandmother and she gets swindled in an online scam and she's having none of it and she's gonna go uh avenge this this scam with Richard Roundtree, and they set off uh, on a on a quest to um, to to find these scammers somewhere in the valley in Southern California. Somebody I watched, somebody I I talked to who saw it said um, it's a movie um, 
for grandparents and it's a movie for people who have grandparents. And I just thought that was such a great way to say it because you're watching, you're just so like taken with with June and Richard on their quest. And then the family, including Parker Posey, they're like, where's grandma? What do we do? And you know, the grandparents got it covered. They've lived a life there. They, they, you don't need to worry about them. They've got this figured out and the family's running around freaking out. And it is, it is just going to be such a great, a great screening. And I know that movie will, will play and it will resonate with an audience. The other title I was curious about is the Will Ferrell doc where he goes on the road with an old friend. Who's, it's called Will and Transitioning. Harper. Yeah, it's called Will and Harper. Will Ferrell and Harper Steele met um, at Saturday Night Live, where Harper was a writer. And Harper has since transitioned and they they come back together. They kind of, you know, they hadn't been able to see each other with the pandemic and such. And they they reconnect and they're going to do a road trip from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, and so we're in the car with them on that road trip. Um, and we get to be with them in the car with them through their conversations about, about both of their lives, about the experiences they've had recently, about their friendship, um, about the people they're encountering on their journey, Americans, everyday Americans, the, the football game that they go to when they're in Texas, and the response and the reaction and the outcome from that experience is maybe different than what we might have thought it would be at a football game in Texas. It's beautiful. Um, they meet some of their uh, SNL favorites along the way in ways that I won't give away because that's part of the beauty of discovering this movie. And then they land, you know, on the beach in Santa Monica and and reflect on this journey they've just had. Uh, again, it is it is a, is a truly one of these movies that when we saw it, we knew that it would just land and resonate and really invite the conver a conversation uh, that is so topical and, and appropriate for today. We have such a great um, roster of films that explore um, the trans experience this year at the festival, and that's really special for us. Um, but you're right, Anne, I think it's I think it's one that I can't wait for people to watch it. You know, Sundance has always been a home for robust nonfiction storytelling. And again, this is a doc-heavy program. I've seen a few of them. I mentioned Seeking Mavis Beacon and Frida is another one. Amazon MGM has that one. Yeah, I saw Frida. But in the process of screening and programming this year, I wonder what sort of trends did you notice or, you know, what were you looking for? What came out of that process for the documentaries? A, it's it's tough work because again, seventeen thousand submissions. There are ten films in competition uh, in the U.S. documentary competition, ten films in the international doc competition, and then there's about that many docs in our premieres section, so higher profile films. Um, what excites us, um, uh, what excites me, and I think what excites us about a festival is that filmmakers bring bring their best to us. And, and the hope is that, that we can provide a, a space for not only for a film to have that, that strong first impression that I've talked about, that opportunity to launch, um, whether into a sales market or whether into, whether, uh, whether to an audience as the film is about to go out into the world, but also an opportunity for a conversation about those films to really start to dig into um, what so many of these um, films are exploring. You know, I think Seeking Mavis Beacon was one that I just got so excited about. Um, the filmmaker, the filmmaking, the story, the 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 the, the approach, fun yet poignant and and weighted and serious. Um, and so, when you talk about trends, I mean, look, we 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 see we see AI, we see artificial intelligence as a thread in a bunch of different places in the festival. Um, and I think that's uh, that's coming up in in our docs, uh, certainly. And then when you have um, even a film like the uh, Gary Hustwood's film Eno, uh, Eno about Brian Eno, the first generative documentary. So each time it plays at the festival, it's going to be a slightly different experience for the audience. So if you really are an Eno fan or some of the famous musicians <laughs> that he's been involved with, whether that's Bowie or U2 or others, Maybe you're going to want to see it more than once, um, whether here or at other festivals. Uh, that that's a film that's going to go on to have a beautiful, a beautiful life. And Gary is just such a a thoughtful, um, special filmmaker. So so he's he's taking a, a, an approach with technology as a tool, as a partner. Um, whereas in in other films, you see AI as well as a as a way that that participants, subjects of films, are 
thinking about like the weighty questions of technology and like how it might create longevity for us as humans when we leave our human form can we leave behind a technology a technological form an ai form of ourselves so that our loved ones or 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 others in the future can continue to engage with us in our ideas and our personalities or in the case of a mother um in a film um how to reconnect with a lost child and maybe have some closure so that so you see ai coming up in a bunch of different places that's one one i think that comes to mind so last year as was well documented the documentary uh, acquisition process was slow it took a while and in some cases i think it had a negative impact on the potential for oscar you know they they just got started too late what is your sense of, of how the documentary acquisitions uh, might play out this year? Do you see the same thing happening again, or do you see some corrections? It just feels like what happened is that they, a lot of the distributors and streamers filled up with product of, of a commercial kind and may not want to take chances on the kind of movies that Sundance is excited about. I'm going to remain optimistic over the course of the long term, even though the short term might feel a little um, uncertain. And I hope that this year's festival can reflect that. And what I mean by that is I moderated a panel. I just have to think when it was. It was probably like early, yeah, early December. I was in New York um, and I moderated a panel with three of our documentary uh, filmmakers um, who came together to, to create a, a joint for your consideration campaign. Um, and um, Shane Boris, who produced with Diane Becker and others, the, the Oscar winning Navalny and, and this year is uh, sharing uh, King Cole, which was at the festival last year, said some really, really like optimistic and entrepreneurial and also just like reassuring things at that conversation, conversations he's having as a producer with the industry about trying to find, and, and you guys should reach out to him. He'll be on the jury actually this year uh, here at the festival. Reach out to him because I think that he and other filmmakers, Shane and Diane and, and some of the other folks who are, who are bringing work to festivals, including Sundance, um, are, they're not sitting on their hands waiting for, a distributor to save their film. They are reacting and responding to a marketplace like like entrepreneurial independent filmmakers have been doing for decades and um, taking matters in their own hands and finding alternate ways to collaborate, to come together and to get films in front of buyers through festivals. A film like um, Bad Press, which we talked about from last year's festival that was at Sundance last year, had an even more robust experience after Sundance as it started traveling, as the film started traveling around the country and started generating more and more attention. Um, so Sundance was the starting point and then the film started resonating with curators and with critics and with audiences. And so it gave the filmmakers an opportunity to start kind of building a momentum. And this is, and this is how I observed, you know, filmmakers doing their work when I first got started and we started writing about it in IndieWire, you know, alongside the work you were doing at other publications at the time before joining IndieWire. And uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm optimistic because of that, that, um, that collaborative and entrepreneurial approach that I think documentary filmmakers are making. Does that mean movies, some movies might get uh, acquired quickly, perhaps, you know, um, we have this film, The Greatest greatest night on earth uh, yes greatest night on earth that uh, we saw and and invited and we added it late but um you know it, when we when we saw it it didn't have a distributor and uh, when we announced it it's 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 been acquired by netflix so um you know i think uh, companies are uh reacting and responding and i hope that uh, that this that this year we move the needle forward a little bit. And if and even if things take a little longer, uh, the fact that that filmmakers are being entrepreneurial and and taking matters into their own hands as they have been for decades in independent film is exciting to me. Um, Eugene, I'm just curious, just for some hard and fast info for any listeners who are going to be on the ground, um, what venues are maybe new this year or are there legacy venues that maybe are not part of the Sundance experience this year? Uh, it's a bit of a mix. One thing we did that, that was additive 
Um, we have this great space on Main Street called the Filmmaker Lodge, where we do uh, morning conversations and afternoon talks and social events and things. Um, we decided to extend that. We didn't we only use it half the festival last year. We decided to extend that through the end of the festival this year because we have a lot of artists who stay. The, the screenings that we have at the midpoint of the festival, and this speaks to what we did in Salt Lake, which I want to speak to, um, is uh, audiences locally, especially, and I hear this in my travels even the last few days here in Salt Lake and in the last few months, uh, in preparing for the festival, they really dig into the festival after the first weekend because the first weekend gives them a a roadmap for which films are really are really resonating and what what are you all tweeting about and talking about. They're listening to this podcast, they're tracking and watching and reading what what you're doing, or they're reading what Sean Means, the legendary critic from the paper here, is writing about. Um, Salt Lake Film Society, the Broadway, we're doing screenings there every day of the festival. Uh, around the corner, you have the more mainstream multiplex uh, at the Gateway, which is a big entertainment center downtown. People go there to hang out, have fun uh, and watch movies. So we have movies there as well as the Rose Wagner. So we honed our footprint in Salt Lake. We um, honed the footprint in Park City to sort of match the program size and to be a responsible organization in 2024 to do what's responsible fiscally and also in mind, keeping in mind the audience itself. So yeah, we've spent a lot of time thinking about this. So you're doing a lot of panels, I noticed. You have like a million talks and panels and and what are what are what are some of the ones that you think are must sees? Well I'm personally really excited. I'm gonna flip in my calendar ahead so I get the title right to Tuesday. Um, Ryan, will you still be with us on Tuesday? Yeah, I'm there Wednesday to Wednesday. Oh, perfect. I know that Tuesday is a big day for listeners of Screen Talk and for the hosts of Screen Talk because there's something that happens that morning that I think- Oscars. Right, yeah, I forgot that was. Um, but on Tuesday, so yeah, when one of the one of the conversations I'm in all seriousness, like super uh, excited about is on Tuesday in the Egyptian at 3 p.m., um, we have a conversation called The Power of Story, Four Decades of Taking Chances. And for us to be able to bring together um, Rick Linklater and Christine Vachon and uh, Don Porter, to be able to bring together this group of alums, it's the 40th edition of the festival, to be able to bring them together for an extended conversation about filmmakers who have not just a history with our festival, but a history in independent filmmaking and to have them together to talk about what it means to take chances over an extended period of time. How do you set yourself up for a career? What are the movies that inspired you? What are the movies you take inspiration from that got you started or that keep you going? And hopefully in that room in the Egyptian, I'm moderating the conversation. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, hopefully in that room, you know, we know that I've, we were doing press this morning and I ran into a, some film students at the TV station we were doing today, we were talking to today. And like, so we have film students coming and there'll be students in the room, um, journalists in the room. That's just an opportunity to kind of reflect. Will you be putting all those talks up online so that we can all look at them? Yeah. 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 We, 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 record, we record everything. And over time, uh, I think basically everything will get out there in some way or another. Um so of of our of our many conversations, that's one that I'm just super excited about because uh, because I get to moderate it and because I get to have this uh, this extended conversation for an hour and a half that you don't always get to have those conversations at festivals, let alone when you're running festivals. So so to be able to be forced to sit in a chair with a bunch of other filmmakers in front of an audience and just talk about about what excites us about independent film broadly and Sundance specifically is like. I'm looking forward to that one for sure. So you know I'm going to ask this last question inevitably. I a couple of Oscar contenders in the lineup. I know you don't look at that when you're putting the lineup together. I know Kim Yutani doesn't care. I know she doesn't. But if you if you were to pick out a couple of what would likely be critical favorites look, of that ilk, what would you what would you name? You know, I would never presume to as a as a member of first of all as a member of the academy um presume to to speak for or or guess which films um many of my friends in the doc branch are going to um are going to choose a year from now um they have a little bit of time i think that our doc program, there could be narratives too true i'm starting with docs but yes there i look i i was so moved the other night at the governor's awards among it was a it was a night of 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 moving 
conversations and speeches and also some some funny ones. I mean, you have Mel Brooks there. But one of the things that I thought my colleague Michelle Satter said so beautifully uh, after being introduced by Ryan Coogler and Chloe Zhao, and I was sitting next to, uh, right next to me, Sean Heater, um, you know, and across the table from Daniel Kwan, um, Michelle said that um, how proud we are, all of us at Sundance, that so many films and filmmakers that have been celebrated by the Academy, even the last few years. And she said, I'm going to name them. And she did, you know, singling out CODA or singling out Everything Everywhere All at Once or singling out Nomadland, films from filmmakers whose careers started at Sundance, at Sundance Institute, were, were nurtured and supported by the Institute or screened at the festival early in their career, laying that foundation. So the thing I the thing that I know I do think about when, when I can't really try to predict or imagine which films are going to resonate in award season is I do think about the fact that in the conversations we're having as we're making those tough decisions to get the 17,000 down to, to 90 features and 50 shorts is who are the filmmakers that, that resonate with us and that we... We don't have space to include everyone, but who are the ones that, that that we want to invite and support at this moment? And knowing, feeling the weight of pressure that those filmmakers are going to feel once they've been invited. And we had a, a mixer for our for our filmmakers um, the other day on Zoom, um, inviting everyone just to just to break the ice and meet each other and just introduce yourself and shorts directors, feature directors, know and hearing firsthand the pressure they're feeling now since that announcement. You know from buyers, from agents, from press people, everybody wants, you know, wants at them. And so I'm pivoting your question a little bit to say that, like, I do think a lot about, we do think a lot about um, really carefully curating that class of 24, um, giving them that that launch that will help them. Hopefully every single film that plays will be in the conversation that you guys are having on Screen Talk a year from now. I hope that's the case. Um, if we do our job the best we can, these films will at least have a shot. You know, you're going to watch them. You're going to talk about them. Some of you, you might love some of them. You might question others, but you're going to have a discussion, whether that's at a panel, whether that's on the podcast, whether that's on social media, like we're, we're doing our job. If we at Sundance can be a, a, a way to help these films get started. And for the, there you go. Yeah, that's our hope. Thank you, Eugene, as always a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Thank you, um, Eugene. Great to have you. Thank you for having me here. Ryan, I look forward to seeing you in person and we'll have to just talk on, on text. I wanna hear your reactions to things in real time. So I will be reaching out. I know from personal experience, how much work it is and how much effort you all put into covering the festival. We that That's the that's the legacy we burdened you with. Um, Sundance is really important to IndieWire. And so IndieWire is really important to Sundance. So thank you for the time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.